Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. As you look across church history in America, you'll find several examples of when God and his sovereignty decided to bring about an environment where people were awakened to their need for him. The first great awakening started in 1734 in Northampton, Massachusetts, where a young Jonathan Edwards was pastor. 300 people made a decision to follow Jesus in six months in a town of only 1,100. Can you imagine? 300 people out of 1,100 in a town? How do you think that town was changed? That's amazing. News of this spread and similar experiences happened in over 100 other towns. A few years later, George Whitfield had opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with almost 80% of America's 900,000 colonists. Can you imagine if the good news went to 80% of our American population on that level? That'd, that'd be amazing. Second Great Awakening occurred in the early 1800s. Charles Finney played an important part in this revival as he saw 500,000 people eventually make a decision to follow Jesus. Half a million. From 1800 to 1840, so just 40 years, the evangelical Christian population grew from 350,000 to 3 million believers. That's huge growth. Then in 1857, the North Dutch Church in New York City hired Jeremiah Lampfier to serve as a lay missionary. Not knowing how to reach the businessmen of New York, Jeremiah simply opened the church at noon so they could pray. All great moves of God happen out of a place of prayer. That's why we gathered on Friday evening. That's why we gather on Sunday mornings. And, and those have been in our announcements of times that you could join us for prayer. I encourage you, join us for prayer. The Lord desires Connection Point Church to be a church of prayer. So Jeremiah simply opened the church so that people could pray and businessmen started to show up. Other churches opened their doors for the same purpose. And in one year's time, a million people came to faith because of those prayer meetings. In one year. Almost 50 years later, in 1906, William Seymour went to Los Angeles where he started prayer meetings that eventually led to a growing group of people who acquired a Methodist church on Azusa Street where meetings continued for years. The Pentecostal and charismatic movements would eventually come out of these meetings. So 100 years ago, these meetings happened, and now, 100 years later, 68 million people follow Jesus just out of the Assemblies of God denomination. Isn't that amazing? That's a move of God. Billy Graham began his career in 1949, and over the course of his lifetime, he organized nearly 400 events that estimated 180 million people attending, many of whom made decisions to follow Jesus. The American church experienced a charismatic renewal in a Jesus movement in the late 1960s and early 70s. It saw revivals in the mid-1990s with Promise Keepers, the Brownsville Revival, and others. And here we sit in 2020, and I firmly believe there will be another great awakening. I really do. And we're going to talk a lot about that in the coming weeks, but I don't think an awakening is going to come by way of a large-scale events or daily meetings in church buildings. I don't think it's going to be led by businessmen in New York during their lunch hour. I don't think that Great Awakening is going to occur through three-hour services. I believe the next Great Awakening will occur as followers of Jesus learn to go together in love to share the gospel in word and action. I really do. I want to say that one more time because I want you to, every part matters. 
that as we learn to go together in love to share the gospel in word and action. That's the great awakening. I believe the next great awakening will occur as believers begin to fulfill the words of Jesus who said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. The next great awakening the church experiences will come by way of the supernatural love that's expressed between believers and love that's expressed to others that causes the world to ask, how can people love like that? And the answer, of course, is because of Jesus and Holy Spirit empowerment. If you and I want to be a part of the next great awakening of the American church, we must learn how to love others well. And the good news is, we've been told how. The question is, are we willing to do it? Jesus tells us how, he shows us how. And the challenge is, the way that love is defined in the New Testament, the type of love that Jesus expects, it's not easy. That's why we've struggled to to do it as regularly as we should. But for us to become the church Jesus wants us to be, we must learn to love as he loves. And the message I'll share today will show us exactly how. And then we just have to determine, are we willing to do it? So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got God's word. If you're new to Connection Point, we say that because we want you daily in God's word. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the chair in front of you. You're welcome to borrow that. If you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that home as a gift from the church. But I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word going to be in the New Testament book of John. So if you go to the middle of your Bible and go right, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in John chapter 13, just a couple of verses there in 34 and 35. Uh, This is, uh, my my Bible is a red letter edition. So the, the words that Jesus speaks are in red letters. You know, sometimes people say, I wish God would talk to me. And I would say, he has. Read those red letters. They're there. Jesus is speaking to us, and he's got some things for us this morning. Here's what he says in verse 34. Him talking to the disciples right before he goes to the cross, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Our desire, connection point, is to lead people to become everyday disciple makers of Jesus. You saw that this morning in the video, Transition. It's been playing for about six months, and it's really been what we've been going after for the last four years in particular. We are committing to helping people live and look like Jesus. That's really what our heart is. We're committed to helping people learn how to love like Jesus. And I'll have to say, that's a huge undertaking. It's hard to figure out how do we really look and live like Jesus in the culture we live in today, but we're committed to figuring it out. Now we're going to have a missions weekend next weekend. We'll hear from Joanne Butrin, the regional director for international ministries. It's going to be a great weekend. She'll share on Sunday morning, Monday night. We'll pray and we'll have a couple of other global partners come and share. I encourage you to be a part of that weekend. It's going to be a great time together as we celebrate the difference we can make in the nations. And then the following week, we're going to kick off a six-week series on a great awakening. So I want to talk more deeply about it. And the point of the series is to explain what God is doing in the North American church today and how we can be a part of that. We're all invited. We're going to talk about how we as a church are preparing for what God wants to do in the greater Lafayette area and how everyone in this room and others not in this room are invited to participate in that. Because I don't think it's just going to be Connection Point Church. I think it's meant to be the body of Christ in Greater Lafayette. God wants to do a wonderful work, and we're invited to it. 
And so today, as we talk about one of our core values, loving Jesus and others, I want to go ahead and and get into some introductory material regarding an awakening, because it matters. As we talk about love Jesus and others, it really is foundational to our understanding of, of what God wants to do in an awakening in our churches today. I shared some of these thoughts last year, but I was going back through and I felt like it'd be worth as we kick off this year and get into that series, it'd be worth revisiting some of those thoughts this morning. And I'll tell you, I want to be a part of a great awakening. I want you to be part of that awakening because I really believe the Holy Spirit means to move, but there is an environment that he requires for that to happen. And it's our job to see those things put in place. Our ability to learn how to love, and I'll say supernaturally. So there's a big difference. The title of this message is Loving Supernaturally for a Reason. Because we're not talking about surface level kind of love. We're not talking about pretending to love. I think the world is tired of that. I'm sure some of us are tired of that. We're not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about supernatural love, a love that only comes from God. And the good news is, the Holy Spirit dwells in you if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, and you have the capacity to love like this. You do. So the question this morning is, how do we love well? How do we love supernaturally? And the good news is Jesus and a New Testament follower of his, the Apostle Paul, they show us how. And the first way we find that we love well is by fulfilling the great commandment. We start there. We love well by fulfilling the great commandment. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they would often test him, question him. And sometimes those questions were to trip Jesus up. And and on one of those question-filled days, a lawyer asked Jesus a question. Here's what he asks. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? He leaves that open-ended. And Jesus replies to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What a statement. On these two things. And we're so accustomed to hearing these two commandments together, we don't realize Jesus is putting together two commandments like this. That was a revolutionary idea. Like that was, that was the core of who Jesus was and what he was teaching. No one had ever put these two commands together like these, like Jesus did. So love the Lord your God. The way that these are, we see these as two different commands. You got to go back to the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is where Jesus is pulling this from, where it says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. So that's familiar. But then what he does is he jumps to a different book, Leviticus chapter 19, and he pulls from there. But here's the context of the verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus takes two different statements. He puts them together in one and says everything is summarized in these two things. These two books or commandments are not even in the same book, but the Old Testament is summed up in them. And what Jesus is saying here is that love for God is best demonstrated or authenticated in the way that you love others. He talks about this a bit in the story of the Good Samaritan. Reading from Luke chapter 10, we've talked about this story, but it applies here, so I want to go back to it. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test again, people testing Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So what's interesting is this scribe, this lawyer who's asking Jesus, he already knows the answer. He's been paying attention to the teachings of Jesus already. 
But he wants to take it further. And he says to him, Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. So he leaves it. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That was the real question he wanted to ask. You see, as you read the context of Leviticus chapter 19, what the lawyer is quoting, it could seem your neighbor is simply another God-fearing Israelite. And so he wants to know, do I just need to love other God-fearing Jews? In other words, what he's thinking is, Jews simply were expected to love other Jews the way that you love yourself. So the lawyer wanting to limit his responsibility of his love of others, he asks Jesus, so who's my neighbor? Because I'd like to limit who I've got to love like this. And what does Jesus do? He shares the story of the Good Samaritan. And as he shares the story, Jesus changes the definition of neighbor. This is huge. And here's what Jesus shares. If you're familiar with this story, that's great, but maybe listen to it with fresh ears this morning. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. I shared in first service, every time I read that, I think of the princess bride. He was mostly dead. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three? So he shares the story, and now Jesus turns to the lawyer and asks the question, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Again, I think sometimes we miss that this was revolutionary. Jesus puts together two seemingly disconnected commands. He puts them together into one to say, this is the great command. And then he shares the story and redefines who our neighbors are. It's incredible. Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan, he showed the crowd. The question to ask is not, who is my neighbor? So as to limit your responsibility, but instead you should be asking, who am I to be a neighbor to? And the answer is everyone, especially those in need. We're to be good neighbors to people of all races, all nations, all socioeconomic and political classes. Everyone. Jesus says loving God is best expressed and loving others who are nothing like you or who may not even like you. This is tough love. This is supernatural love. For us to be a part of the next great awakening, we must learn to love God by loving others well. All others. So I would ask, how are you doing loving that neighbor who has loud parties till 3 a.m.? Maybe you had that last week. (laughs) How are you doing loving your coworker who swears constantly and badmouths others, including yourself? Maybe daily. How are you doing loving people of other races, different nationalities, and socioeconomic classes? Loving God is best expressed by loving others who are nothing like you, who may not even like you. You can love well. You can love supernaturally by fulfilling the great commandment. And you can love well by loving others as Jesus has loved you. That's a whole different level. You can love well. You can love supernaturally by loving others as Jesus has loved us. 
Jesus, for three years, he's teaching people to love God, to love others. This is his ongoing teaching. Loving God by loving others not like you. Loving God by loving others who don't like you. Jesus teaches about this kind of love, and he models this kind of love. We took three years going through Luke, and we got to see Jesus modeling this kind of love for us. You could go and read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and and you'll see the way he models this for us. And all of this teaching, all of this modeling was leading up to the point where he's going to establish a new covenant, a new commandment with brand new terms and conditions and what it looks like to be a child of God. Moses had given Israelites the law through God, the terms and conditions of the old covenant, and now Jesus is about to give the terms and conditions of the new covenant. The old covenant was a list of 613 laws. The new covenant was simplified to one. It's not to love God and love neighbor. It's, it's not 10. Most of us are familiar with the 10 commandments. It's not 613 from the old covenant. Praise God. I can't remember 613 things. I can't remember nine digits for a phone number, right? Is it nine, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten? 10, see? 613, how could you remember that? No, he reduced it to one. One very important command for all of God's children. And we read it, John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you. You love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. You belong to me, basically, if you have love for one another. If we're not careful this morning, we miss the significance of these verses in the statement that Jesus is making. When he says, a new commandment I give to you, it's important to note, Only God can give new commandments. And Jesus, with God the Father's authority, is now giving a new commandment to his followers. What he's saying is, look, there were 613 laws. I've reduced it to do. I've showed you what it looks like to love God and to love people. I've shown it to you for three three and maybe four years. And right before he goes to the cross, he says, now I want to go ahead and give you this new commandment because I've shown you how to live it out. And Jesus, with the Father's authority, says it. And we know he had the Father's authority because we find in John chapter 5, Jesus says he can do nothing of his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. John chapter 8, Jesus says he does nothing of his own initiative. What a statement. John chapter 12, Jesus tells us he only says what the Father tells him to say. If we want to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom, look at Jesus, who understood that he had authority that he was going to follow. So God the Father has instructed Jesus to give a new commandment to summarize all the rest. And what's the command? Love one another. That's it. And the disciples are thinking, again, so we read all these things and we already come to our own conclusions, but they're hearing it. Think about hearing this for the first time. Okay, a new command. Wow, that's a big statement. Jesus is the Son of God. We've already, Peter's recognized that, but he can, he can give us a new command. Love one another. Well, that sounds a lot like what we already No, to be true, you've already told us that. But here's the thing. Jesus is about to change the golden rule. Because it's not about loving others like you love yourself. No, Jesus is about to ask the disciples to live at a standard that no one has ever been asked to live for before. It's a standard the disciples won't even understand until Jesus has gone to the cross. He says, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Man, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. What a statement. That is supernatural love. 
That's a whole new way of loving people. And yet these are our marching orders. This is the one command that trumps all other commands. If you get this one right, you fulfill them all. You don't have to remember 613, just one. But then we've got to live it out. But this declaration, it's powerful. It's brilliant. It's life-giving, culture-shaping, family-healing. It's extraordinary. Because Jesus is asking us to love others not like we have been shown love. He's not asking us to love like we want to be loved by other people. He's telling us to take our cues from him. Jesus is asking that we love others like he has loved us. I mean, think about it. Think about in that room, in that moment. Jesus could have gone around that room. He's sitting, they're having this last meal together before he goes to the cross. He could have said, Matthew, remember the first time we met? You were despised by your community and an embarrassment to your family. But I invited you to follow me anyway. Matthew, extend that same grace to everyone you meet for the rest of your life, as I have left. Nathaniel, remember the day we met? Remember what you said to me? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You made fun of my town, my family, my childhood friends, but I invited you anyway. Nathaniel, as I have loved you. Peter, the list for you is way too long, my friend. could have gone from person to person to say, as I have displayed this grace to you, as I have loved, so you now love. And for good measure, he could have added, and gentlemen, if you think you've seen me love, tighten your sandals. You haven't seen anything yet. Because the day after Jesus gives this new command, he goes to the cross, and now things begin to make sense for the disciples. When Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus was talking about. The disciples could sit back and reason. Man, when Jesus said, love others like I have loved you. This is what he meant. And then what does Jesus say? By this. By this. All people will know. All people. I love it when he, he gets those Exclusive statements, all people will know. Everyone you come in contact with, when you love like this, everyone will recognize you belong to me, the king, because I gave you the strength and ability to love supernaturally like that. I shared before that uh, 80% of churches are in decline. There's an article this morning that talks about diminishing glory. We're not one of those churches. We're a church that continues to grow. But I'll tell you, the only reason is, is because we made a commitment years ago that we would love our neighbors, that we would love the nations, and continue to reach them. That's why we continue to grow. If we weren't doing that, we would be in decline, like so many others. But I also believe that there are so many churches in decline because we haven't really expressed supernatural love in the way that Jesus wants us to. I think we love well, don't get me wrong, I really do. But I think that there's another level of love that the Lord wants us to arrive at. I mean, you watch the, the news and you see a world engaged in culture wars, a world full of frustration and anger, a world full of strained relationships, people at odds with one another. It's not hard to see that. And if we're not careful, we can somehow begin to believe that's okay, or maybe even normal. But we need to remember, the world is going to be the world. But what's sad is when the church is not being the church. 
I, I'm never, you know, people will come and say, man, this, this coworker, you know, this neighbor, they, they swear at me, they yell at me, they, they say terrible things. And then I ask, well, do they follow Jesus? And they say, no. And I say, and I, why are we surprised? <laughs> without Jesus, I constantly tell my kids, without Jesus, it's a miracle anybody makes good decisions. And it's only because they've made, they're made in the image of God that that even happens. The world's going to be the world, but that doesn't give us an excuse not to be the church. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. So you have the love for one another. So what does that mean for us? It means we start asking ourselves in every situation, what does love require of me? I introduced this question last year, and then we hung signs in the back of the sanctuary during Vision Sunday in September. So as you see those signs as you depart, that's supposed to be your driving question. You don't have to call me on Monday to say, here's my situation, what should I do? I should just be able to tell you, what does love require of you? And you'll find the right answer. Think about that in everything that we do as new followers of Jesus, that it applies to giving. Why do we give? Because as new covenant followers of Jesus, we give because others are in need. Because love requires it. In every situation that we face in life, we can ask that question. My, my brother or sister offended me. What am I supposed to do? Ask yourself the question, what does love require of you? It might require you get together with that person, share a meal, and make things right. You see, once you start living life through this filter, it becomes extraordinarily clear what it is to live like as a follower of Jesus. Ask that question, it'll clear it up. What you'll find is, you usually know the answer to that question. Why? Because you're smart. You are intelligent people. You know the answer to that question. The challenge is, it's oftentimes the answer we don't want. It's hard to live like that. It's hard to answer that question honestly and then to live that out. But at the same time, it's when we live that out through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, things change. Relationships change. Marriages change. Parenting changes. Like things around you begin to change. Why? Because now you've inserted the Holy Spirit. You're not solving that question or problem. Jesus is. And I'll tell you right now, Jesus is far better at fixing things than us. Far better. One of the things we need to come around to is an understanding of what sin is. Sin is doing something for ourselves that hurts others. Whenever we put ourselves in front of others to their detriment, we've sinned. Why? Because everyone... Everyone in this room, everyone outside these walls today is made in the image of God. And in putting ourselves in front of others, we've hurt someone who God loves just as much as us. Under the new covenant, we are responsible for our behavior and how it impacts the you beside you every time. And let me tell you, it's not easy. But this is what Jesus expects. It's how others will know we are his followers, that we belong to Jesus. It's how we get swept up in the next great awakening of the church. The followers of Jesus who figure this out are the ones who get to be a part of the next great awakening. I'm convinced of it. So how are you doing loving others like Jesus loves you? Are you displaying loves for those who inconvenience your life? Are you expressing love toward siblings who are not treating you well? Are you expressing love toward parents who could have done a better job of parenting while you were in their home? What does love require of you? I can't give you that answer to your life-specific circumstances. But the Holy Spirit can. When you're unsure of what to do, pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what does love require of you? It's a nice rhyme. When you're unsure of what to do, pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what does love require of you? And when you get the answer to that question, you will fulfill the command of Christ to love others as he loves you. You can love well 
by loving others as Jesus has loved you. And what does love look like? Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus, he gives us some instruction this morning. He says that we can love well as we love like Paul instructs us to. We can love well by loving like Paul instructs us to. Paul, in writing the believers in the ancient city of Corinth, he tells them to love well. He tells them to love well when using spiritual gifts. He tells them to love well as followers of Jesus. And then he gives a description of what love looks like. So if you've wondered what love looks like, Paul gives us a description. He writes, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is one of those qualities that we carry with us into eternity. Isn't that amazing? So we should learn to love well here. Paul says love is patient. You want to know what patience is? Patience is saying, I'll let you set the pace. I'll let you set the pace as we determine when we're going to buy a house. I'll, I'll let you set the pace as we figure out our plans for the future. Do you think your Heavenly Father sometimes has to let you set the pace? He does. He does for me. Love is kind. Do you want to know what kindness is? Kindness is loaning someone else your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Paul, in another passage, he says that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. Kindness is a really powerful thing. It really is. It's a powerful thing in our culture. For somebody here, this could revolutionize your marriage because you're constantly reminding your spouse of their weaknesses. And after you finish reminding them of their weaknesses, then you come along and help them out saying, ugh, I have to do it again. Ugh, I gotta go do the dishes again. Ugh, I gotta change the toilet paper roll. Why can't they do that? We don't need a reminder of those things. No, you just loaned them your strength. Maybe you're really good at changing toilet paper rolls. (laughs) You don't need to remind them of their weaknesses. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. In other words, love does not dishonor others. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I love that promise. Love never ends. It never fails. What marriage problem would that not solve if we love like that? What relationship with your difficult children would that not at least create a crack in their hearts or minds to eventually give in and listen? What would this not fix? And it's not that the patience, the kindness, the not dishonoring or not self-seeking qualities in and of themselves really do anything. It's that these as an expression of God's love for us and us loving like that, that it does something. Supernaturally, it does something. Paul is saying to these Corinthian believers, in case you're wondering what love looks like, this is it. And if you're still not sure, the Holy Spirit will always nudge you toward kindness and goodness and faithfulness. He writes another church in Galatia. He gives us a couple of lists because he wants us to know what love looks like because Paul understood the new commandment was all about love. This is why Paul tells us we're to walk by the Spirit, by the way, not according to the flesh. You cannot do this in your own strength. I'll tell you right now, you've got to commit these things to the Lord and say, Jesus, help me love so-and-so in the supernatural ways. Help me love this individual in supernatural ways. Because the Spirit will lead us to love like God loves. 
The Spirit will lead us to ask, what does love require of me? And I am convinced that we can be a part of the next great awakening as we learn to love supernaturally. So let me ask this morning, do you, do you think we'd have this conversation if I didn't think we were capable of doing that? Wouldn't this be an incredibly depressing message? It's like you share, this is what it looks like to love supernaturally. Good luck. No way. I share this message because I know this body of believers is more than able to love supernaturally. I'm firmly confident in the Holy Spirit and dwelling in you that you can love like this. We can all love like this. And what's required us for us to learn how to love well? The short answer is relationships. The way we learn how to love is by spending time with others. And, and as we think about this in the context of our church body, it's hard to do that on a Sunday morning. We might have a couple of minutes for some community time, but the best space for this is really in connect groups. That's why this is a connect group fair day, and I want to emphasize, if we're going to learn to love supernaturally, we're going to do that in the context of being together on a more regular basis. And connect groups is a great way to do that. For us to be a part of the next great awakening, we've got to put ourselves in environments where we can learn to love in supernatural ways. And so we'd like to encourage you to do that this morning by getting involved in connect groups. They're a great way for you to interact with others and to learn how to love well. And sometimes people not like yourself. In fact, here's what I would encourage you to do this semester in connect groups. I would encourage you to seek out those in your connect group who are not like you and develop friendships with them. They will grow your life. They will bless your life. And it will help you to learn how to love in supernatural ways. And I don't mind telling you, I have a lot of work to do in this area. I don't yet love supernaturally. Sometimes the Lord helps me, but not always. And so daily I'm asking, Lord Jesus, help me to love supernaturally. We're all in process and we all get to figure that stuff out together. And here's one of the things I found. It's, it's not those who are easy to love that help you to learn how to love supernaturally. If you know Shelly, she's an easy person to love. She doesn't really help me to learn how to love supernaturally. My kids, they have awesome hearts. They don't teach me how to love supernaturally. It's the difficult people in my life that teach me how to love supernaturally. And it will be the same for you too. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, 2019, I had lots of opportunity to love supernaturally. Maybe 2020 you will too. But I want to encourage you. You got to learn to love supernaturally. Put yourself in those environments where God is the one that equips you to fulfill that purpose and to love in that way. Because it's natural to love others who express love towards you. Supernatural to love others who aren't like you.